Yes, hello. Thanks for tuning in to this week's NTT 20 Monday podcast. Ali Maxwell here, George Ellick with me talking all things EFL. And I must admit, it's I don't know whether you think this is a good or a bad thing, but this podcast, as you'll have noted by the length of it, is essentially two episodes in one. We were going to do a lovely, normal 50, 55 minute podcast talking about the weekend action in League One and League Two and answering some of the excellent questions you sent in online over the weekend. But sadly, the plans changed. A bombshell dropped on Sunday, George. Please explain why this is two podcasts in one. Yeah, project big picture is all the talk in football after the reports yesterday about Rick Parry, uh, the Liverpool board, the Manchester United board coming up with a plan to save EFL football. But in, you know, in exchange for the teams, uh, the big six and three other sides in the Premier League, basically getting a controlling stake in the Premier League. Um, That is a very basic way of describing it. There are good things. There are bad things. We go into it all with Matt Slater from The Athletic, who sponsored this podcast. If you want to listen to the football stuff first, the recap from League One and League Two, then skip to about 45 minutes through, because this section is all about Project Big Picture. So it's always a pleasure to be joined by Matt Slater. Matt writes for The Athletic, and this morning a piece went up on the site uh, which Matt co-authored called Explained. United, Liverpool and Parry spark nuclear war in English football. If you'd like to read this article, and I would heartily suggest that you do because it really does cover the topic very well. Uh, If you're not a subscriber of The Athletic but you'd like to check it out, if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20, you'll get 50% off an annual subscription. Uh, so it's about two quid 50 a month. This piece would be a good place to start. It'll give you a good idea of what you can expect from the Athletic in general. So I'm thrilled to be joined by Matt again. Uh, one phrase used there in the title is nuclear war uh, in the piece, mm. civil mm-hmm. war, uh, and generally <laughs> online. Yeah, war. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, interesting you say that. on Online, the favoured phrase appears to be power grab uh, it's all yes. it's all very um it's all very dramatic isn't it and matt as you tweeted yesterday there are some good ideas in here meaning the proposal things that if they were suggested separately many fans would back but there are some bad ideas in here too so that's what we'd like to get into all of it today starting with the basic fact i think we can all agree with that yesterday's news really has put the cat amongst the pigeons yes very much so this is um I'm not exaggerating. This is the most radical plan for reforming English football since 1992. This is, it's huge. It has implications for almost every, every part of the game, every, every club, every, every aspect of every club. It's, um, it's a um, remarkably well worked through documents in that it is really clearly the the the, the product of lots of thoughts and um, that's what that's what came out um, yesterday. Well done, first of all, kudos to the, the Sunday Telegraph for um, getting getting the scoop. Uh, it certainly it certainly um, changed Sunday plans for for many of us. Um, and then you know I, I you know me and my colleagues spent a lot of time on the phone and contacting clubs throughout the 92 and um i mean what, what what can we say where do we start um look there are good ideas in here particularly for our audience um and i actually have read it a few times now and i've thought about it and spoken to people about it I, i'd almost go as far as to say 
it's nearly, nearly all good for EFL clubs. There's some great news in here for League One and League Two clubs. Yeah, let's start. Let, let's start with the good news. I think it is worth pointing it out. It's it's hard to have um, a, a wide ranging discussion on social media with the character limit um, and with uh, and with differing views and extreme views as well. So we've got the time to do that here, Matt. Um, first and foremost, let, let's talk about some of the things which surely are very attractive to EFL clubs and EFL fans. Uh, certainly those in League One and League Two. Uh, the proposed changes, Matt, to the distribution of Premier League revenue are surely better than the EFL could could ever have realistically imagined getting, surely. That really is, the, to, to my eyes anyway, the main carrot here. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I think there are two, two key bits if we're just going to do the money first. And the first is the short-term acute problem. The reason this sort of this this plan has come out now, although, as I said before, this is the product of a long process. I might, might come back to that. Some people have been thinking about this for 25 years. <laughs> and the key people in this have been thinking about this definitely for two or three years. So that's the first thing to say. This is not just a COVID plan, although, of course, it is COVID. That's the, that's the crisis. That's the opportunity. That's the the thing that has that has caused this sort of acute issue, this massive cash flow problem. So the first thing is this plan does solve, if you like, the the pyramid's hole, the pyramid's cash flow problem that we've, we've been hearing a lot about over the last few weeks. EFL clubs, if you think about the, the tail end of last year and this season without fans, which we now think is almost certainly going to happen, certainly till Easter, um, is going to lose about £250 million in matchday revenue. It's gone. That is money that they would have relied on, they would have assumed was coming in, is not coming in. So £250 million. And then, of course, there is the FA shortfall. We know about the National League. We know about the women's game. There's another £100 million there. So this plan provides, if it was if it was to get through, and we'll come back to that, would, would, would solve that. £350 million right now, not alone, a grant. So short-term COVID-related issues are largely dealt with. Now, to answer your question, and this is where it, I think it gets really interesting, because we all, we, could, we all knew there were various ideas out there to fix the COVID problem. But we also knew there was going to be a price to pay for that. There was going to be strings attached, caveats. And it would then become sort of an issue of how comfortable you were. Is, uh, how do you feel about this price? And, uh, you know, it's not such a thing as a free lunch. So, so the 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 radical bit the bit that rick parry efl chairman really likes is okay we get to do certain things we're going to scrap parachute payments the league the premier league goes from 18 to 20 so by scrapping parachute payments and, and going from 20 to 18 there's some money there right i think everyone can get their head around that and now mm -hmm. this of course also is not right now it is for the next available um rights cycle so that takes us to 22 23 and they're assuming a kind of 10% uplift in, in, in TV rights. But there's another bit that this is very much, this is what Rick Perry's been talking about for 25 years, that, that one body, ideally the Premier League, because the Premier League are the best at it, should do the rights for everybody. So you rebundle, you, re, you, re, you repair 1992. EFL rights, Premier League rights are dealt with as one. Again, something that a lot of us have been thinking is a good idea. So 20 to 18 clubs, losing parachute payments, rebundling the football package, 
creates more money. And this is where we get this, I think, the best bit about this plan. The, the, the change of the redistribution model. So at the moment, Premier League clubs take about 92% of football's wealth. This is to change that to 75%. 92 to 75. And at the moment, of that 8%, by, you know, there's, there's, there's some bits and bobs that come out and but if we just keep to these sort of general numbers, it's split between the three FL divisions on an 80-12-8 basis. So the championship takes the lion's share. So of the 25%, it's going to be shared much more equitably. So, so big uplift for, for, um, for League One and League Two. They effectively see their central distributions double. And there are, there, there are sort of different pots here. The Premier League is suggesting that there is an amount of money that goes specifically into um, facilities um, that, you know, they, they, they are really want, it's a very sort of American idea, they really want owners to, um, to spend money on their, on their grounds and their training grounds. Um, but it's that, it's that sort of, I think, it's that sort of key concept of, going from 92% concentrated in the 20 clubs to 72, just, just 75%. So a much, much bigger chunk of the overall TV and central sponsorship package flowing down the pyramid. So it's, it's, it's more money for the championship. It's more money, much more money for League One, much more money for League Two. Um, that's the key thing. And then there's some bits in there that I'm quite pleased that aren't there that we might want to get into these because this is where i think it, it, it gets a bit more well maybe who knows i mean well, it, it sounds good now so things like oh, there's no plan but there's no there's no b teams mentioned hmm. the 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 24 24 24 structure remains so we go from 92 clubs to 90 there's no shaving of clubs we would lose the efl two efl clubs out the bottom would, no would we, we wouldn't no it's it's oh well that's sorry we would of course yes because they would have come from somewhere but um but the actual divisions still remain 24, 24, 24. And promotion and relegation between, between well, National League's, National League's not mentioned specifically, but, but that this would be, you know, within the, the gift of the National League and the EFL to, to, you know, to carry on as now with their promotion and relegation um, uh, arrangements. But certainly promotion and relegation between League Two and League One and League One and the Championship remains. You, you, you could argue they you know, a negative, although... My personal view is I, I'm fine with this because I think this would quite, be quite an exciting competition. Is that the championship playoff uh, would change from being a playoff between the teams that come three, four, five, and six? It will become a playoff between the teams that finish three, four, and five and 16th in the Premier League. So 16th in the Premier League would play fifth in the championship, fourth would play third. And then you'd have so there would be there, there would be the possibility that the team that comes third from bottom in the Premier League gets to remain in the Premier League. I mean, Matt, me and you spent a fair time yesterday, as you mentioned on social media, talking about this, and we both seem to share a pretty similar view. Where whilst there's some issues probably in the long term, if we're looking at this purely from an EFL perspective, as you've just discussed, there's lots to like. But it's important here that we do provide some balance and we, and we give some airtime I guess to the concerns and try and tackle them and one of them 
I think, which is a lack of understanding generally about the, the deal, is that it's going to make uh, the divide between the Premier League and the Championship wider. I mean, as you've said, the redistribution of the revenue means that probably won't be the case. If anything, you're going to bring that gap, you're going to bridge that gap, which seems to be Rick Parry's um, desire. However, a lot of people are concerned by the power grab in the in the Premier League. I mean, the word blackmail was sent to me a fair few th- few times, and I tried to point out that the EFL isn't in a particularly good bargaining position here. But these provisions, the the solidarity payments, the um, you know the, the the lack of B teams as it stands. Do you know if there are going to be provisions to ensure that once the the Premier League clubs, those big nine, who only need six to vote through changes in the Premier League? will protect those payments. Are, are there any idea? I, I know in the initial piece it was mentioned that the Premier League would now be in charge of negotiating the EFL's TV deal. Is there any yeah. suggestions as well that the the governance of the EFL as it stands would more be in the hands of six Premier League clubs? Well, look, that's this. Now we get into the big, the big negative here, um, and certainly, look. The big losers here, the big losers by a mile, are the are the non-big six Premier League clubs. Simply the bottom half. If you're in the bottom half of the Premier League, you hate this idea. You hate it for lots of different reasons. You hate it because the league goes from 20 to 18. You hate it because um, um, the distribution of money within the Premier League, which at the moment is about 1 to 1.7, 1.7 being... The, the best team. So there's a relatively narrow gap between the best, the most successful team in the Premier League and the 20th. It's certainly the most equitable of the leagues, the big leagues in Europe. This plan would change that to about 1 to 2.25, so two and a quarter, which is pretty much where we started in the Premier League in 1992. So it is really just going back to where the Premier League started. The reason it got more equitable, more fair within the Premier League is the rise of international rights. So for the best part of 30 years, they were divvying out international rights pretty much evenly. That's just tweaked in the last year or so, again, because the big six were sort of pointing out, hold on a minute, no one saw this coming 28 years ago. And it's us that's driving most of this. So let's, let's, let's you know, we, we deserve a fairer share of, of that. So that's, that's some of the reasons why the Premier League uh, bottom half hates this but the big one and I think the one that is is alarming everyone no, no question about it this is the big red flag within the plan is the governance issue so at the moment as we know to get anything done in the Premier League you need a two-thirds majority one club one vote it's worked pretty well for the history of the Premier League you know to get a rule change through you need 14 of the 20 now yeah, it, that that is that's a quite a high bar, and there have been a number of times where the big six have found themselves aligned. They don't get agree on everything, but they are increasingly agreeing on things. Uh, there's a few reasons for that. One, because of just the nature of them, and and the fact that their their positions are so often aligned now. They are so much bigger than their rivals that even whilst they're in fierce competition with each other, they just they just share interests. Um, and, and I think the second thing is, and this is, you know, the two things are not, uh, are not, um, it's, this doesn't happen by accident, is we're seeing the increasing Americanization of the Premier League. And it's no, it's no accident that this has been driven by Liverpool and Manchester United, who, whilst the two fan bases enjoy a, a fierce rivalry, 
the, the actual ownership groups see eye to eye. The executives are often on the same page. So, you know, just, just have that in your mind. You know, what is it about American sport? American sport, they make money. They are profitable businesses. They do not expect to lose money in, in North American sports. So that's just remember that. Now, um, the issue around the governance, I think, is, is, is huge. What they are proposing is the nine members of the Premier League that have been there longest, right? Now, that could obviously change because if you're relegated, you, you, know, you, you go back to the beginning. But it is, it is, surprise, surprise, the big six. Plus, at the moment, Southampton, West Ham, and is it Everton? I can't remember. I did write it down. I think mm. it's those three. Yeah. Uh, would have superpower. They, they, they effectively become, they, they become the, 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 the rule makers here. And even, and even more worrying, and you could cute and ingenious if you, depending on which way you see this, you really only need two thirds of those. So if the big six do agree, they get it through on a six to nine basis. Now, you could argue, fine, well, if that's, what, look, if that's what the way the Premier League want to do this, it's a Premier League issue. And to be honest with you, that's kind of what Rick Parry is saying. I, I uh, have problems with that for lots of reasons, because it's not just a Premier League issue. The minute you give the Premier League control over the money, I mean, they've got control over the money now, you could argue, but once you, once you formalise that and actually give them your, your, your broadcast rights... And, and the right to dictate how um, that money is spent, you are giving them everything. You're giving them the keys to the kingdom. So, so you are effectively putting the, the, you know, the, the 90 uh, under the hands of the six. So uh, that, that, I think, is a high price to pay. And I wonder how seriously the big six, Liverpool, Man United driving this, really mean that. And I wonder, and, I, and I, there's so much in here good and then bad, but I wonder which is the negotiable bits. How seriously do they mean this? Because they must know there is no way this gets 14 votes in the Premier League. There's no yeah. way. Now, what happens if they start, oh, okay, yeah, all right, the, 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 six, the six out of nines thing. You know, can we, can, we, can we go to, I don't know, can we go to a straight majority in the Premier League? So we go, take it down from 14 to 11. You know, I just wonder how they tweak this plan or if, or if they're saying, look, this plan is only this good and all the money side of things because this is what we really want. And it's things like one of the one of the straws about the camel's back here is the five subs rule. Mm. Now, um, as everyone will remember during Project Restart, because FIFA and UEFA said, guys, you can go to five subs from three. You can go to bigger match day scores. You can go to 20 because of the congestion as a player welfare issue we're going to change that rule, right? And then for this season, because of the same reasons, because it's a congested calendar, slightly shorter season, um, you, can do it as, you can do it as well, right? And pretty much every other league, including UEFA for their competitions, has said, yeah, we'll do that. We're out on a limb. The Premier League said no. And they said no on an 11-9 basis. You know, nine clubs said no. And that has just, there's so many things that have annoyed the big six over the years, but that, that was like, well, this just keeps happening. And it happened because the, the, the smaller clubs said, well, it's, uh, it's, it gives them a competitive advantage. They've got deeper squads. It's not fair. So the governance issue is, is huge. And as an EFL fan, as a, as a fan of an EFL club, that's my concern. That's where I went to straight away. OK, yes, 
Rick Perry is telling us that Liverpool and Man United, that John W. Henry and Joel Glazer and Ed Woodward have a sincere and genuine love and respect for the pyramid. And this plan does deliver a lot of the things that I want delivered. The end of parachute payments, a fairer split of the money, more money for my club, no, no mention of B teams, uh, money for uh, infrastructure, money for youth development. Yes, I like all of that. I like some of the fan charter stuff. You know, uh, away, um, you know, uh, guaranteed 20 pounds maximum for away fans, subsidized travel, uh, standing sections. There's some there's some good bits in it. I also quite like more financial control. I want more regulation. I, want, I like hard salary caps. Mm. I like the idea of uh, stiffer FFP regime. There's there's some good bits in here. But that governance issue worries me because it's giving them that power forever and a day. OK, where are the safeguards? What are they going to do in five years' time, 10 years' time? What are they going to ask for next? Though that's, that's my worry. And I have a, a second worry, which I think is, again, a, a good conversation to, to really explore. They are also proposing radical changes to the loan system. Now, this might be a bit technical, and there are, there, it, is, it is technical. The easiest way to do it is just they want a lot more flexibility. They want the ability to loan more players on short-term basis, and they are also saying to League One and League Two clubs, you no longer have to have an academy of any variety. Now, this has been one of my concerns about all the other ideas that have been proposed um, in terms of Premier League money going down the pyramid to save them in this, you know, in, a, in short-term COVID issues. Nearly all the strings have been around player development, so Premier League clubs just just want first dibs on all the talent in this country. And um, a really, really good way, a really good example of this is the condition that many Premier League clubs wanted to place in any uh, rescue package. And that's EFL support for their starts, Premier League starts, on the post-Brexit quota situation. Now, there's a ding-dong battle, as ever, between, between sort of club and country here. The FA want to raise the bar to entry, i.e. they want to have more homegrown talent, so fewer foreign players in, in playing in, in, in this country post-Brexit, once we you know, leave the EU, and properly leave the EU. And uh, the Premier League you know, kind of don't want it to change at all. In fact, would, I think would even like more flexibility to, to pick and choose from where they want. They want to, they want to, they want to flood their, their, you know, their youth systems with, 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 um, with, with young talent from around the world. They certainly don't want to make it any harder anyway, put it that way. And they wanted EFL support for that position. Now that, I'm just sorry, is just contrary to EFL's long-term interests because most EFL clubs want to develop talent they need it to 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 you know fill their teams but also to trade players so you know the the idea that any premier league support would come with that condition just just annoyed me this this doesn't do that immediately but i do worry if we get there anyway you know around the houses in a, in a sort of longer term way that if you're telling League One and League Two clubs, you no longer need to have academies and we want to be able to you know, loan you lots more players. I wonder if you just get to the same place slower. Now, I'm led to believe that some EFL clubs have already clocked that bit and have gone, well, no, I don't, I don't think we necessarily have to worry about that because they're giving me more money. And if I want to then spend my money on youth development, I will spend my money on youth development. It makes me sustainable right now. 
and I'm going to choose the thing that I think is going to make me sustainable going forward, which is developing my own players. So, so that might just be me reading that bit of the plan and going, oh, I don't like the sound of that because I know what some Premier League clubs really want to achieve. But, but, but the governance issue is the one that unites everyone. Oh, right, we really are placing all the power in the hands of the big six. At first, it, it sort of seemed, and this is very much with an EFL-only hat on, that even if this power grab at Premier League level came to pass, and even if they, they voted in these, frankly, bizarre sort of uh, voting conditions uh, that you've mentioned there with the nine clubs essentially having carte blanche in terms of, of PL voting rights, it, it, at first I thought, well, that won't affect EFL voting rights. But the more you think about it, the more you can imagine the conversation a hypothetical conversation as these all are people are very worried at the moment about hypothetical scenarios where these big clubs do the wrong thing and threaten the the, the pyramid um you can kind of understand the conversation uh, where even if the efl's voting rights are maintained you know it, it, let's say b teams for example i mean it is always held up as this big thing that PL clubs definitely want. And I sometimes wonder if, aside from one or two, that is actually the case. But you can imagine them saying, you know, hello there, we'd like to insert some B teams into your pyramid. The EFL saying, nah, we're not keen on that. And the Premier League club saying, well, that's a shame, especially after we were so generous in bailing you out a few years ago. Uh, and you know that lovely 25% of our, <laughs> of our revenue that gets distributed to you. Gosh, wouldn't it be a shame if that were to be reduced by the nine clubs that have voting rights in the Premier League, which happens to be us. Uh, you know, that that is, uh, I guess, to, to sum it up with a hypothetical, what people are really uneasy with. It's also quite, I mean, the whole thing is really unusual, obviously, as you mentioned, the, the, one of the biggest moments in English football for, for some time. But it's quite unusual or uh, that Rick Parry is sort of in with Liverpool and Manchester United to such an extent. And especially when you when you read that talks have been ongoing for three years between the parties, well before Rick Parry was appointed EFL chairman. I mean, the, 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 there was one quote where he said, you know, that, that these big clubs are frustrated that they get outvoted, which you mentioned. How can Huddersfield have the same vote as Manchester uh -huh. United? How can Blackpool come up and abuse their one stay in the Premier League and have the same vote as Manchester United and Liverpool? What do you think the EFL clubs feel about Rick Parry's involvement in this? You know, what I mean, it's only been a day, but do you think they think, you know, he's seizing initiative and he is getting us financially at least a very good deal? Or do you think they would raise an eyebrow at, at quite how involved he is with two very large Premier League clubs that have seemingly very little to do with the uh, the, the, the body of clubs that he is representing? Well, there's there's a lot to unpack there. So, I mean, let's just start with Rick Parry because I think he is he's the front man at the moment. Now, whether I think he wants to be the front man or not is a good question. I think he'd quite like it if Liverpool and Man United uh, would would sort of front up as well and and others who have been party to these conversations. But it's fallen on Rick Parry, right? So that's fine. That's 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 those are the cards he's been dealt with, and he he genuinely and sincerely believes this plan to be a good plan. I, I know that to be true. And it, I know it to be true because he's wanted to do this for a long time. He was the first chief executive of the Premier League. Let's not forget that. And in 1995, he suggested rebundling the EFL and Premier League rights. He looked at this and thought, this is silly. We can get a much better deal for everyone 
if one of us does this and we're good at it, we're better than you, we'll do it. Position of strength. The broadcasters didn't, don't like it. And that should tell you something. The, broad, the broadcasters quite like dealing with them separately because a, when you bundle them, they are a compelling package. You, are, you, 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 know, you have the whip hand. And uh, most people I speak to do believe that you get, you'll get more. You'll get more for them as a, as a, as a, as a package, as, a, as a treating this, just treating, going through one organization that you know, the, the rights holder would have would have more power and should be able to extract more value for the for the for the the whole uh, inventory now so that's rick parry and rick parry i think has has long felt since leaving the premier league and doing a job at at liverpool going to the chief going to do that job <laughs> and then going to do his other jobs you know he went off to uefa and he's done some work he's been a consultant you know he's he's sort of kind of seen the football and sports world but you know remember that he's worked for the premier league he's worked for liverpool now, when he was interviewed for the EFL job, one of the people that interviewed him was Jez Moxie. Now Burton, um, ex-Wolves, isn't he? Or is he West mm. Brom? Wolves, Which yeah. one? Well, Wolves. Possibly both. <laughs> yeah. He remembers, he was in the room. He remembers those mid-90s questions and debates. So when Rick Parry goes along to his EFL potential chairman interview, he says, "I have, you know, what they said, why do you want this job? unfinished business i have regrets i have a big regret there's something i didn't do that i think would really really help yeah there's no false pretenses here he told the efl he told the efl board that this is what he wanted to do and they went yes pre-covid before we'd heard of coronaviruses mm. unless any of them have got you know science degrees <laughs> and i don't think they do so there's nothing sneaky about this and it is remarkable when you read this on a sunday totally out of the blue and you're thinking, what? The EFL chairman wants to scrap the Carabao Cup. What is going on? The EFL chairman is saying we should have uh, a championship playoff with a Premier League team in. What? You know, but but he but he genuinely, sincerely, you can disagree with him by all means, and people will today, believes this to be on the financial side alone and the restructuring side alone to be the best possible plan for his members. He is very concerned that, um, that COVID will, will, will send a few to the wall. He's very, very concerned about that. And he's not alone. He was worried before. And COVID, as I said, is this acute problem that, that he he's really does strongly believe will send a few of them over the edge. And he doesn't want that to happen. Now, now you could disagree with, how, with his proposal, but... but by all means, but but I but don't I I genuinely do believe he's coming from the right place. Now, um, so that's that sort of Rick Parry. Um, I can't remember the rest of your question because well, I mean I, I can <laughs> I, I can pick up on what you're saying here because you know you mentioned this has been in the in the offing for three years, and but I think it's fair to say as well that if we weren't in this position where. You know, clubs were again were up against the wall where we could be seeing clubs, you know, ceasing to to operate in four six weeks as it stands. Then the opposition to this would be much stronger. But I keep saying to people who disagree with it, well, what else is there? I mean, oh, yes. how, how do you suggest we're going to get through this? And and that's kind of my next question and maybe last question is, where does this leave us? Because you got Steve Parish last week speaking to a national newspaper saying that 
the other clubs in the EFL were competitors and that, you know, comparing it to the Sainsbury's analogy, which made very little sense. But you've got to think that people, you know, EF, uh, Premier League chiefs from those clubs that aren't included in this are suddenly going to be looking at this and thinking, well, hold on, we need to change the way we're thinking about this because this is an absolute disaster for them. Um, in David Ornstein's piece in The Athletic this morning, and Adam Crafton's been tweeting about it today, talking about how other Premier League teams have gone to the Premier League asking for a change to the proposed gambling gambling um, mm-hmm. regulations. Yeah. Um, you've got Oliver Dowden on Sky News this morning absolutely slamming this as well. So if, if anything, you know, if nothing else, it seems to have just dropped a bomb on these negotiations, which still on the 12th of October are pressing and need to come to a solution fairly soon. So, I mean, it's. I don't know why I think you'd have the crystal ball here, but what do you think is going to be happening in the next week, 10 days? Because clubs like, you know, Scunthorpe have been public in saying we need this help soon. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. going to be looking, thinking, well, is this going to get us any closer to actually getting this money that we need ASAP? Right. Well, here's, here's what's going to happen in the next few days. You're going to get, uh, we've already had government come out very strongly. I was, quite, I was quite surprised at how strongly government have come out because I, they're starting to, my concern here is that they've spent three or four weeks longer actually saying football sort this out. Um, saying Premier League, you do this because we can't, we've got too much on our plate, you've got enough money in the game. Here's, here's a Premier League plan. A well thought through, detailed, okay, you might not like bits of it, but it's certainly detailed. It's, it's tried to think of most things. You might not like some of, the, some of their, the things they're thinking about, but it's certainly detailed. And what's the first thing the government do? The government just immediately just, just rejects it very, very strongly, start talking about secretive plans. I mean, I'm sorry, I just, I just find if that's the thing they're annoyed about, well, how do they think plans start? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, someone has an idea, says it to somebody else. They, it's, it's, it's not as, what, that's what came out really clearly to me last night, that it's not as sneaky and sly as it might have seemed initially and will be portrayed over the next few days. You know, Liverpool and Manchester United, the bosses there have been talking about it for quite some time. Rick Parry's been thinking about it, as I mentioned, for 25 years. So you're already uniting EFL board and two, our two most famous biggest clubs. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't support either of them, but it's just sort of <laughs> factually true. The Liverpool mm-hmm. and Manchester United are our biggest clubs. Other clubs, other big clubs were in the conversations. I know Chelsea were involved. I know some of the other big six are you know, being a bit more circumspect today, but they're not slamming it, are they? They, they, they quite like this. Um, I'm led to believe the FA were very involved. Greg Clark, very involved in certainly preliminary parts of this, because there's a lot that there's a lot the FA will like. Money for the women's game, money for grassroots, as I said, money for infrastructure, going from 20 to 80 in the Premier League, which is what the Premier League was supposed to do in 1992 anyway, to help the England national team for some fewer games. Scrapping the Carabao Cup, for me, I don't think that certainly doesn't upset me. It's not going to upset the FA because it safeguards and ring fences the FA Cup's position as our domestic cup. There's a load here the FA will like. So they were a voice that was missing yesterday, weren't they? They haven't come out and spoke in favour or against. So at some point, the FA will have to say something. And that'll be quite interesting to hear what they say because they were definitely involved in these conversations. I hear until quite recently. So that'll be interesting. Now, the Premier League came out with a very, very strong and personal on-the-record comment. And uh, I can tell you all that off the record, their briefing was even more aggressive. Mm. So, 
you know, over the next couple of days, we're going to get a lot more of that. We're going to get more of the Steve Parishes and the Brightons and anyone in the lower half who have been um, vocal already. I mean, one of the things that, that came out last night is one so something that unites an awful lot of EFL clubs, whether they like the governance bit or not, or they're worried about the loan bit is, they think the bottom half of the Premier League have got way too big for their boots. And the way they were talking, they hated the Parish comment, they hated the Sean Dyche comments as well, where these these clubs, just they take a snapshot in history, just happen to be in the Premier League now, but have in their very recent history and even longer term histories been EFL clubs and could be EFL clubs again. It only takes a bad month in the Premier League. You know, you, you are a Premier League club until you're not. And there have been loads of established Premier League clubs, Sunderland, Swansea, you name it, Bournemouth, who looked like they were there, who looked like they'd made it, and then they haven't. The idea that, that, that they should be pulling up the drawbridge or they should be telling the, the championship that they're a basket case uh, or, you know, or, or, or say, yeah, we'll help you, but only if we can hinder and handicap you. So that if we ever get relegated, we can bounce straight back because we'll have an enormous competitive advantage. All of that stuff has played very, very badly within the championship, even with championship clubs who really like to think of themselves as Premier League clubs. They are all united in their uh, their views that Brighton and Palace and co can do one. I heard that and I heard stronger last night. You know, F that lot. You know, if this has annoyed them, I already quite like it. Now I'll mm. read it properly. But the fact that it's got their back up, I'm now going to read it. So that, that came across loud and clear. And I think we're going to hear from those sorts of clubs. I understand that the Middlesbroughs of this world, Stoke, um, Derby, some quite interesting clubs like this. And like I said, I think League One and League Two, not everyone. We've seen Andy Holt, for example, in Accrington, you know, he was, you know as, as ever with Andy, which is why we like him. You know, he appeared, you know, he's on Twitter a lot yesterday. He appeared to quite like the gist of it. He then read it. He doesn't like it. I think, you know, Gary Neville will be, we'll hear from a little bit of him today over the next few days as well. So, you know, he doesn't like it. So, you know, there's the Salford angle. But I spoke to a number of clubs last night who like the sound of it. And I think if it went to a vote of, let's say, the EFL, it would easily get two thirds easily get two-thirds so that's interesting unfortunately it's not going to go to a vote for them it's going to go to a vote we probably I, I suspect it won't go to a vote because i think they'll 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 they'll, they'll quickly divvy up they'll tally they'll tally the numbers and it won't go to a vote and then we'll get this then we will really find out what is negotiable here what liverpool and manchester united and their silent partners uh want to do next and this is where I think we get into really, really fascinating areas. And it will be European Super League. It will be lots of threats to do this, to do that. And then we will find out. It'll all come out in the shakeout. You know, it's not working for us at the moment. We don't like the voting structure. We are still convinced that uh, our presence here, I'm talking about Big Six now, is undervalued. We're the ones that are turning this into a global competition. We're the ones that that are exciting people in North America and, and, and Singapore and China. You know, we are the reason that we are the, the, the you know, the new NFL, the, you know, the, the big boys. We are premium live content around the world. And it's because of us, not you. More people want to watch us play and they want to watch us play Bayern and PSG and Barca. They don't want to watch us play Burnley. We will. We will. 
because we like the pyramid. This is what they're saying. Again, mm-hmm. believe, disbelieve, totally up to you. We will because we, we understand the history of it and we have to have a competition and people like competitions. And yes, the last 28 years have been really, really good because we have a good competition here. But just remember that point that, that what has made you all richer is our brand names, our superstars, our fan base around the world. Now, you might find all of that really distasteful. And if you on an EFL pod, you might be thinking, well, I don't care. None of that applies to me because that's all that lot. And I completely agree if that's what you think. But it is all connected. And what this proposal is about is about reconnecting what was split asunder in, in, in 1992. And yes, there are strings attached. Yes, there are. And they worry me too. Well, that's what's going to have to be negotiated, isn't it, for, from from now on? And, and hopefully we won't be waiting too long because uh, ultimately, as far as I know, there isn't anything else imminent at the moment. This lovely um, bailout from a government or from, uh, you know, no. cl- clearly not from Premier League clubs as well. So. Well, just, just on that, I'm just going to jump in there because, because sorry, because that was the key part of the question, wasn't it? What, what are the alternatives? Mm. We've got this. It's detailed. There's good bits, there's bad bits. Yeah. And we're going to have a good old ding-dong about it over the next week. All right, it's not going to go through. It just isn't. Now, might something close to this go through? I, I, I don't know. But the alternatives that I've been reading and writing about and talking to people about aren't that great. They just aren't. You know, highly conditioned loans or grants from the Premier League that hamstring EFL clubs, particularly championship clubs, forever... I don't think a particularly great alternative. And probably nothing with, you know, long-term structural reform and... No. Well, apart from a hard salary cap. I guess for a lot of people, there was a surprise that that United and Liverpool, albeit with Rick Parry, would sort of think this much about the structural reform as well in a way that, again, uh, always comes back to probably or definitely um, sort of being good for them long-term and giving them more power, but also undeniably in many cases, you know, are the sorts of things that we have talked about with better distribution of Premier League um, revenue down to the EFL and, and various other things. I guess, I mean, it's so simplistic, but I, I honestly think, and I think you've kind of agreed there, that this change to the Premier League voting system, giving the nine longest serving clubs, of which they are six, and m- making it only a six majority needed to pass through things, that is just really getting so many people's backs up there is such a lack of trust that that is that that yeah. would that that would lead to anything other than nefarious in footballing terms um you know decisions in the long term and but they I, would I have d- the power to remove the premier league chief exec they would have the power to approve a new owner at clubs that is crazy so, isn't it i mean nfl style vetting of, of of prospective owners Here's, here's, here's the richest man in the world looking to buy Aston Villa and we'd like to turn them into whatever Manchester City are now. Yeah, yeah, Actually, yeah. We, no, we're not sure about that. We don't yeah. fancy that, yeah. funnily enough. Yeah. It's, that, that's just so distasteful, I think, for so many football fans, not just Premier yeah. League fans, but EFL fans as well. And, I think we can all agree on that. And what you've said is, that can that be negotiated without losing so many of the things that, that ourselves and EFL clubs and fans have, have looked at and thought, hmm, that looks pretty nice. Yeah. I agree. I mean, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. Lots of good bits and that very alarming mm, bit. Doesn't that just strike you, though, as a classic negotiating tactic of, right, let's put in two or three clauses that can be the first things to go. They're going to outrage the people the most. And once they're gone, which we never expected to get through anyway, 
then people are going to be much, much you know it's going to look much more palatable for those once those those have gone maybe that's just um, naive of me maybe. to think that no but. no 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 and I'm, I'm sitting here wondering the same but then i also wonder though if the thing that really really matters to the big six which is control if that's the thing that really matters then that's that's the non-negotiable isn't it mm. If yeah. everything else is, well, just, just rearranging stuff, we don't really care because we actually really want to play more UEFA games anyway, which would, at this, you know, going to 34 games, not 38, would allow them to do, scrapping the Carabell. They always, they always, there's a little bit in there about wanting to play more preseason friendlies, you know. They're, they're going to make up their money. The big six get richer, right? They just do. They just do. Now, it, if, if giving League One and League Two clubs and women's football and grassroots football more money and doing it in a kind of clever way of throwing some fan-friendly stuff in there, fine, fine, we can do that. We're, we're okay. Because what we really want is control. Then that's then non-negotiable. And that, we, I don't know, and we're going to find out. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt Slater from The Athletic. Just a reminder that, well, everything we've discussed today is also in written form on The Athletic site. Uh, Adam Crafton, Matt Slater and David Ornstein putting together the piece on this this morning. Uh, explained United, Liverpool and Parry spark nuclear war in English football. Uh, if you'd like to check that piece out and so much more, of course, on The Athletic site, at theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 is where you'll get... 50% off an annual subscription if you sign up today. That'll be just £2.50 a month. Thank you so much as ever for joining us, Matt. I hope you have a, a good day, a busy one, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, no worries, guys. Take care. Always a pleasure to have Matt on the podcast, George. And I, I know that we both find talking through these often very complicated issues is much easier when someone like Matt can well, can can bounce off you and can tell you what, when what you think is accurate or right or wrong. And uh, it was brilliant to chat with him uh, off the back of a lot of thinking about this yesterday and our long chat with him this morning. What are your sort of current ruminations, if you will, on the matter? How long have you got? Um, I think the important thing for us here is that we've, I mean, I personally, as I said yesterday, I'm fairly pro it because my feeling is that I put the the stability of the EFL and the survival of EFL clubs right at the top of my list of things I care about. And realistically, the Premier League and its governance quite low. And Matt seems to adopt a similar approach. So there are going to be a lot of people listening to this who are going to have far more negative um, views on this. People who support clubs at the top end of the championship people who support clubs, maybe yo-yo between the two, people who support clubs are the Premier League clubs. So what I would say is a couple of things because, you know, their concerns are totally valid in terms of their priorities are different to mine. Um, as Matt said, you know, it seems like the majority of League One and League Two clubs will approve of this. I spoke to a couple of people that I know yesterday who have been or are involved at similar level clubs who are quite positive about it. Um, but it's important to remember that this, this proposal, this arrangement this idea as it stands is very unlikely to come to fruition as it is it would need the clubs who are going to get um most shafted by it to agree to it basically you've got 11 premier league clubs who um will need to in some part agree to this happening and why on earth would they do that the way i look at it now after the dust has settled after the premier league and the government have both come out you know vocally against this 
is that for Rick Parry in the EFL, at the negotiations table, the goalposts have massively moved. So if you think of it as being like a poker game, basically, before yesterday, you had Rick Parry with no chips and the worst hand sitting at a table for the Sharks. He didn't stand a chance. Suddenly now, he is joined at that table by the two guys with the best hand and the most clout and the biggest pile of chips. So even if this, as it is, isn't going to be what what ends up happening, and hopefully the negative parts of this will be the things to go, it still leaves the EFL in a much, much stronger position going forward. No longer, you know, the, the whole part of Project Restart was um, the government made the Premier League basically commit to in some way helping the EFL. So it's going to happen in some circumstances. But the complete unwillingness of people like Steve Parrish to even, you know, entertain a uh, a favourable bailout. The reports this morning that loads of these clubs who are now going to be against this agreement were looking to change, you know, gambling regulations in order to approve it. Now, suddenly, Parry is in a position where he's going to say to these guys, look, you know, we have in our corner now, not only six of the biggest clubs in the world, nine of the biggest clubs in England. And then suddenly, as well as that, you can have hundreds not hundreds, but loads of, of League One and League Two clubs on top of that. Although there are some, you know, Clive Nates of Lincoln has been very vocal on, on social media saying he doesn't agree with it. Um, it just means that now things have to come to, you know, to fruition fairly soon. And I know that a lot of people are angry with Rick Parry and are saying he's not acting in the best interests of the EFL. I completely disagree. I think that now the EFL is in a position where it has leverage, basically, over the people it needs to have leverage on. It's in a position to negotiate. And I think we're probably closer to to, to the clubs who need the support um, to, to getting it. And what that's going to look like, look like, I don't know. And as I say, I admit that personally, even though I understand it's bad for the game, um, the you know the power shift in the Premier League is a, a, an okay price to pay for me if it means that clubs like Scunthorpe are going to still exist in four weeks' time. Okay, I think for off-the-field matters, that is plenty uh, for the pod. We've still got a lot to talk about, all the action from League One and League Two coming up. But George, while we couldn't enjoy any championship football last weekend, we have got something quite exciting to bring to you this weekend. Yeah, we are really excited to be working with Fanslide over the next couple of weeks. If you don't know what Fanslide is, that is not a surprise. It is new. I would advise you to download the app now. And it's a game in one-off matches to enhance your enjoyment of the game where you can pick three players at any one time for a maximum of 20 minutes each. They get points for things like scoring goals, assists. Um, so like fantasy football, but then there are some more in-depth ones such as a last man tackle, a defensive header. You can see all the list of points up on the app now. And you get you pick three players at one time. It is free to play as well. You pick one player to get one times points, second player to get two times points, third player to get three times points. And it's all... There's an Opta ticker uh, at the top where you can see all the live data um, going as you go. I've played it a couple of times. I've really enjoyed it. It's definitely covering a gap in the market as well where you know they're, they're doing Premier League games, they're doing England games, but they're also going to be doing the televised championship games as well. And it's just really fun to play alongside it. You watch players more, you understand players more as well. And with the, the 20 minutes change, it means that it's not all-encompassing. You can still mm. enjoy the game and make sure you play. Um, the first game I played was... Uh, the Liverpool-Arsenal game a couple of weeks ago and I came second out of 100 people. Then me and you played from the green room at Sky uh, last week um, or two weeks ago, I should say, for Coventry-Bournemouth and uh, I topped the pile there. <laughs> you were frustrated to see. 
Well, yeah. I mean, early signs are that you're quite good at this game, fan side, <laughs> which is a shame. I must admit, when you told me about it, I was naturally sceptical, not due to anything about how it how, how it's played or how you described it, but just because it feels like in this day and age, everyone is trying to make fantasy-style games. Many of them don't really get off the ground because the game itself is not particularly engaging. Yeah, This is an original concept. Uh, that's another thing. I wasn't sure there were many more original <laughs> ideas in this sort of sphere. Um, but it's an original concept with the 20-minute slots that you can have a player for, and then you can't use them after that. You can only use them once. So it keeps you engaged in the game sort of throughout. You're having to make these decisions every 20 minutes. You can make changes um, during those windows, but it does cost you points. You take a points hit for that. It's also kind of tactical as well and, and, and kind of makes you think about a game in a way that you wouldn't normally. So, for example, we kind of both took the same approach in the Bournemouth-Coventry game because we thought it was going to be quite cagey where we loaded up with goalkeepers and defensive players early on thinking that by 20 minutes... 20-minute clean sheet, yeah. It would still be nil-nil. We would get points for our players keeping a clean sheet in that slot. I got quite frustrated at one point where you and I were gunning <laughs> at towards the top end uh, and it was... Well, it was still the first half, so there was a long way to go. But in one fell swoop, a player that I had in my times three slot, Lewis Cook, gave away a penalty. And a player that you had in your times three slot, Matt Gonnon, <laughs> scored the penalty. So I got a quite significant uh, penalisation. And suddenly if you I will. was top. And suddenly you were top and you, you held on for the win. I just think it's really cool, uh, engaging way of following a match that you're watching. It's free to play and there are cash prizes for the winners. So, you know, there's there's it, it's just a great concept. It's cool to be working with these guys and look, we're going to be playing on Friday night. So we, we hope that you will too. It's the Fan Slide app. So all you need to do is 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 download the app, sign up and uh, we'll see you on Friday night. Yeah, so have a look at it. We will talk about it more on the betting show as well, but do download it. Have a look around. It's completely free to play. And um, there will be cash prizes, as Ali, say, Ali says, put up for, for some of the games. You must be over 18 to play, but it is completely free as we said. So we look forward to seeing you there on Friday. We will talk about the football now, George. Let's start in League One. You've already given one of the results away. Gillingham 3, Oxford 1. Possibly the most entertaining game for the neutral in the whole weekend. 46 shots total in the whole game. At Gillingham with 15, Oxford with 31. We're actually not going to talk about that one first because it's time to give more dues to the team that are now clear at the top of League One by a whole one point in this nascent League One table is Paul Lambert's Ipswich Town. <laughs> I don't know why I said that in a Steve Evans accent. So sometimes the intricacies of Scottish accents are beyond me, even though I have got Scottish roots. So apologies for that. That was Steve Evans reading out the league leaders Ipswich, managed by Paul Lambert, who went to Blackpool this weekend and absolutely humped him. Yeah, they did. Um, there any? Yeah, I, I, I kind of said on the um, betting show podcast. I thought last Saturday was maybe a sign that the Ipswich were going to um, go the other way, but that wasn't the case. Um, they were very good here. I mean, Blackpool still have some serious defensive issues. Um, you know, you're looking at a back, you know, the, the defensive duo again um, of uh, Ek Potato and uh, and Turton um, and Luke Garbutt, a left back who we know isn't very good defensively. Um, and Ipswich. It was the right back who struggled most, wasn't it? With, well, it was Guion. <laughs> Guion versus Lawrence Gabriel. He absolutely tore him apart. Um, Guion, the latest player, you know, we, we've spoken about John Nolan recently being one of these guys who was brought in with a big reputation for League One and League Two, 
who never really hit the heights we expected, but he is the latest um, who has kind of retained the faith of Paul Lambert. Maybe um, he's lucky to have done that given his performances last season. He only scored two goals in the whole campaign last season. He's got four already this time. He got an assist as well. Um, Luke Chambers scoring a goal that we wouldn't normally associate with Chambers, a brilliant strike from the edge of the area, um, kind of uh, like a dipping ball. It's um, Chambers at his age, at his experience, turning himself into a flying fullback is one of <laughs> football's great, uh, one of great evolutions. And this whole squad, as you said, it's it, it could be, and we must continue to be careful that we're talking about things at a very early stage of the season. But we keep talking about these guys performing in a way that they haven't done previously in in an Ipswich shirt. You could say the same about Teddy Bishop, albeit his excuse has been just horrible injuries. You could say the same about Andre Dazel, who played some wonderful passes in this game. It it could be a true redemption season for Ipswich Town. Paul Lambert is a part of that as well, after the amount of flack that he copped from everyone uh, back end of last season. So, look, they, they scored three goals with their first four shots here, Ipswich. They won't always be that ruthless, but... Some really encouraging signs um, and yeah, completely overcame Blackpool, who I think started this game quite well. Matt Scrafton, the, the Blackpool local writer, seemed to think that Poole started the game well. But uh, as soon as Ipswich sort of took their early chances, there was only going to be one winner. So well done. Uh, and especially Guion Edwards looked absolutely on one, as did George. Uh, a new name for us in many ways, Harvey Saunders. Friday night's game between Fleetwood and Hull probably didn't go the way that we would have expected in the sense that Fleetwood pretty much blitzed them. Uh, Hull did get back into the game after Fleetwood took the lead. It was one all after a honeyman equaliser, but Fleetwood by miles the better side on Friday night. And in Harvey Saunders, kind of a welcome addition to a Fleetwood front line that for a long time has been Chad Evans and Paddy Madden and a, a bit last season, Barry Mackay, quite excited. But, but this is an exciting and youthful injection uh, into this Fleetwood front line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although it's quite funny seeing one player in Conor McAlhaney who was kind of frozen out there doing such good things in League Two. So it wasn't like there weren't options previously. And I guess they're, they're not dissimilar in their style of play, Saunders and McAlhaney either. But um, yeah, it was this was a classic game, I think, of, of warning people why not to take a four-game stretch at the beginning of the season too literally. I mean, here we had a side in Fleetwood that we expected to be kind of in the top six who'd had a very poor start in the first four games against the Hull side who probably exceeded expectations in, in winning four games to nil um, so going into it even though Fleetwood I think had only lost one game at home in about a year Hull were the kind of even money favourites and everyone thought they were going to win and actually that's not really how it works you, you know the, the 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 poor form of Fleetwood was unlikely to continue and Hull were probably not quite as good as it suggested um, this was a game played in horrific conditions on a Friday night and Fleetwood basically just wouldn't let up. They were ferocious. They were playing in the front foot throughout. They were the better sides um, continually. They were very much helped out by a George, George Honeyman um, stray pass just after halftime, um, which gave them their second goal. Um, but they didn't let up after that and were really good value for their win. Um, there's, again, you look at the, the team, they need a couple of centre-backs. Holgate and Stubbs were back too um, on Saturday, but... So much attacking um, ability there. You had um, Wes Burns playing as kind of a flying fullback, a, a right back. He's obviously been earmarked to replace Louis Coyle. And I guess given his athleticism and his ability on the ball, that could be quite a, mm. an impressive positional shift from Joey Barton. Callum Camps in the goals again. Nice um, take, that one. Again, proving that he's somebody who deserved his move away from Rochdale, um, despite maybe not having such an impressive season last season. Um, Coots pulling the strings in centre midfield. It was just 
impressive. Um, and yeah, any thoughts or concerns that um, Fleetwood were were kind of spiraling a little bit were, were put paid to here. Um, but nothing, I don't think, for Hull to get too concerned by. I think when you've got two strikers in McGuinness and Eves who you can basically play into and play off when you, you know, with wingers like Adelican and, and Lewis Potter, Adelican especially, someone who'll thrive with having a proper target to aim at in the box. Um, playing with Malik Wilkes there doesn't really work. So um, I think they need a striker back ASAP. A lot of impressive team performances in League One on the weekend, potentially none more so than Crew Alexandra beating Wigan 3-0. Actually trying to pinpoint the quality of Wigan at the moment is very difficult uh, based on the start of their season where they've had some very good results and some very poor results. Potentially, it's just a, a wildly inconsistent side, which you, you couldn't begrudge them given all that is continuing to go on behind the scenes and uh, and the way that the squad has been put together uh, and with John Sheridan arriving after the start of the season. But I think it would still be wrong to take anything away from a, a crew side who put in just a fantastic performance, really, um, and an eye-catching one. 2 nil up at half-time, and I think probably that scoreline would have flattered Wigan. They probably would have been happy not to be further behind. They scored a wonderful second goal uh, with the ball being sprayed out to Charlie Kirk. Uh, and that left side of, of Kirk and Pickering that we really enjoyed watching in League Two last season, showing that, that they should be fairly comfortable doing similar things in League One with Kirk basically doing three keepy-uppies so good. as his control. So good. And then playing, basically trapping the ball and playing the most perfect pass between two defenders onto an on-rushing Pickering who finished with his right foot. It was a it was a wonderful goal. Uh, two other notables are the performances of Luke Offord at centre-back. He scored the goal uh, to put them ahead in this game from uh, a good cross from Ainley. But given pre-season, I think there are a few things we said about Crew. Firstly, how exciting is it if they can keep hold of, of the group of players that got them up? These young players that we expected to be picked off by richer clubs. None of them have gone. That's brilliant. We, we said... Going forward, I think they'll still create chances. I think their style will translate up a division. Seems to be the case. Um, but I was a little bit worried defensively. But Offord has stepped into the seat, uh, the team, such a young player as well. I think he's just 20 years old and, and, and he's doing a really good job at a higher level than he's played before. So another one off the rank, it seems, at, at Crew. And lastly, George, Mikhail Mondron, my Mondron 2022 campaign for him to be <laughs> Oli Giroud's backup um, at... Uh, at the World Cup 2022, gathers pace. He's actually scoring too many goals. He's actually probably putting himself out of contention. But the man who was once at the Clairefontaine Academy <laughs> as a young player and will, of course, still be on the, the radar of the French Football Association uh, gets his goal as well. Do, so, do you think Gerard Houllier looks out for his... Uh... I'm sure he does. Uh, we actually got an interesting question here. Um, Adam, who's a crew fan, tweeted us to say, crew have conceded one shot on target in the last two games, blowing both teams away. Players returning, squad depth is good. Can Crew fans dare to dream of a championship return? Crew have a dream run of 20 games starting in November. Now, once I'd stopped laughing at the fact that I'd never seen the phrase a dream run of 20 games <laughs> before. To be fair, I looked at the fixtures and kind of saw Adam's point. They've they've played some good teams already. They've got a they've got a tough few games coming up now. And then in November, they do have a run of games against teams that, if they're in a certain position, they'll go into each game confident of winning. So um, if they win on Tuesday night, they'll be in fifth. They lost their first two games of the season. So this is a really impressive crew start to the season, despite not getting those early results and, and a team to look out for. I think this is my big League One stance is crew. 
at the moment. I think if I had to choose any of the promoted teams from last season, who's going to finish at the, at the top of those four, I think it would be Crew. Mm. Um, I think they need, as you mentioned, um, they probably need the window to close more than any other side. I think David Artel, watching Charlie Kirk do keepy uppies and then put an incredibly weighted ball through to, to Pickering, um, I think he'd have liked him to wait until next week to do that because <laughs> that is a clip that people are going to see. Um, they had seven academy grads playing on start in the starting lineup on Saturday, and given that all but Murphy of those is are in their early twenties, there's no reason why they're not going to improve. There's no reason why, given the step up of quality of opposition, they're not going to improve even further. So when you're looking at a side with Ng and Pickering on the flanks, Ainley, Wintle, Murphy in midfield, and then Kirk and Powell either side of Ma- of, of Mandrin, like on paper that. If you think of the, the kind of the ceilings of all the players, if they are to progress, that could look like a completely you know if you if you were to fast forward to twenty twenty four and take all the squads and wonder who's gonna you know where's which group of players gonna be playing the highest, you'd probably say this one. So, um, yeah, really excited about Crew this season, um, and I don't think given that for those who don't listen to the betting show, I said it on Thursday, so um, I can't be accused of being knee jerk here. Team in fourth at the moment with 10 points from five games. Another good start to the season. Gillingham, uh, we touched on it at the top of this section. They beat your Yellows 3-1 in a remarkable game of football, really, um, which I'd like you to tell me about. Remarkable game of basketball. (laughs) A remarkable game of basketball. Uh, I'd like you to tell me all about it. You tweeted afterwards that you didn't really know what to make of that. So I'm hoping just under 48 hours later, you've got more of an idea. I I think any... Um, kind of Oxford obituaries are premature, but at the same time, anyone who looks at the stats and thinks that, um, you know, it, the XG was 3-1 the other way around. Um, but having said that, you know, Matt Taylor missed um, pretty much an open goal. Cameron Brannigan missed an open goal, but that's a massive deficiency there to do that. That is poor. Um, rather than being like, mm, shrug of the shoulders, Oxford created, you know, had the most shots in the box in the EFL by about seven, I think, this weekend. But Simon Eastwood made the two best saves on the day as well. And until it was 2-0, Oxford created very, very little of anything good. And naturally, Gillingham were pretty happy to sit on their lead at 2-0. So Game State played a pretty big part. Um, from what I saw, I, I'm not overly um, concerned about Oxford's. Gillingham were much better going forward than they were defensively, mm. which is a big change to last season. Um, I think they're going to concede a fair few goals if they put in performances like that. Um, but Samuel and um, Vidane Oliver um, are a very, very tricky um, pairing. And Jordan Graham is currently, I mean, he's always been a massive confidence player, but he's currently absolutely brimming with it. And as long as that run the form continues, and he's added goal scoring to his game, which he's never done so before, probably un- unlikely to see that continue. Um, but they, um, yeah, I'm not going to say they weren't good value for their lead because if Eastwood hadn't pulled off two good saves, it could have been five. So... What are you going to say about that? <laughs> Could have been five. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, let's move on from that to Lincoln 1, Bristol Rovers 2. This was a classic uh, early season form out the window result where Lincoln City, who were four from four, went one nil up in this game from another set piece, although not Lewis Monsmer. He was he, a, he's in, head of the post. He was initially credited with the goal, but such was his excitement at almost scoring that instead he just headbutted the post and uh, gave himself a bit of a bang. OG. Co- coincidence? That. The one that he headed the post and then suddenly they conceded two goals and lost 2-1. That's a good point. That's mm. a sort of analysis I doubt you'd have heard elsewhere. You wouldn't. Montsmer 
had a bang on the head and then Lincoln conceded two to Bristol Rovers. Um, a, a really impressive performance from Rovers, even having gone 1-0 behind. Uh, there are signs, and um, we've been told this by a few people this weekend, that what Ben Garner wants to implement, which you know we've always been told is a very modern style uh, and you know very well drilled and quite specifically coached to his manner and what he wants to do uh, we, we are starting to see the fruits of that labor certainly um, a really strong performance all over the pitch but especially from Josh Grant in midfield uh, a signing that we kind of thought was was one of those ones with such obvious upside if he can get a run of games and, and if he is as good as his youth career suggests. Well, Grant was excellent today. He was joined by McCormick, who's on loan from Chelsea. Grant, obviously, having been a previous Chelsea youth team player, all the Rovers fans purring over McCormick's performance. Uh, and Hanlon has made a huge difference in the last few games. Uh, he just probably a little like Jordan Graham, who plays for Hanlon's former club, Gillingham. Hanlon has, to this point, been a bit of a confidence player. Uh, the sort of player who you see do something on the highlights show and think, Jesus, this bloke's got something pretty special. Who potentially, if you were to watch him week in, week out for 90 minutes, you would realise that he ran a bit hot and cold and that he had some, some deficiencies in his game. But the last few performances for Bristol Rovers have been really impressive. His two goals, albeit both from the penalty spot, um, are significant, as is the goal scored by James Daly, which was a, a, a great goal just seconds after Rovers had gone behind. So, you know, they started the season in pretty poor fashion um, and this is a, a very positive result for Rovers fans who are starting to see, as I said, you know, what this team could be if they can keep working hard if Ghana can, you know, keep implementing these ideas, then they, you know, they, they should be a, a decent side, I think. Um, where else to go here, George? Just, I mean, there wasn't a single draw in League One last season, so we're sort of contractually obliged to touch on all of it. Um, would you like to talk about Portsmouth 2, MK Dons 1, or Plymouth 2, Burton 0, or potentially Swindon 0, Wimbledon 1? I'd like to talk about Portsmouth 2, Milton Keynes, Dons 1, mm -hmm. Ali. Um, this is a classic narrative buster, yes. in my opinion. Anybody who sees this, I mean, we mentioned on, on the Totally Football League show Extra Time that, um, or at least I did, that this did, might look like a regulation home win. It wouldn't be, even after the game, this might look like a regulation home win. It wasn't. Pompey created precious little. They had just four shots at all in the entire game. One was a Tom Naylor header in the second minute, and they, then they were ahead through a penalty in the 23rd. So again, Game State has a part to play here because they were twenty, you know, they were ahead after twenty-three minutes and didn't concede again. But MK Dons completely dominated the ball. They had sixty-five odd percent possession, which we've come to expect. They've attempted, I think, five hundred more passes than any other team in League One this season. So this is something we're getting used to. And a couple of weeks ago, it felt like it was possession for possession's sake, and they weren't creating much. But this is the second game in a row where they have dominated the shot count. They've created better chances than their opposition. The two opposition being. Ipswich and Pompey so things are getting better at MK Dons this wasn't a bad performance this was a sign in my eyes that they are going the right way um, Scott Fraser was really really good in the middle of the park I'm still amazed that not another that, that he didn't get a, a move to a side like Pompey um, because he was brilliant at Burton last season and the 25 offers so much attacking thrust from midfield um, so this you know, having always been a big advocate of Kenny Jackett 
and you know say it to any Pompey fans not to panic this was the opposite this was I think Jacket getting very lucky Jacket being on the receiving end of some variants here because so often they have been the team who've been dominant and, and not got the result they deserved um, but for MK Dons fans yeah I, I think there is something building here the the system the men, you know the, the way that um, Luke Williams, who's the first team coach, who Sam Parkin pointed out to me, um, has a very clear idea of how he wants to play. So maybe we can credit this style of football with Williams rather than Russell Martin. But not only are they keeping the ball, they are now starting to to turn that possession into chances. And if they can turn those chances into goals, which will be the next step here, um, maybe Cameron Jerome will be a, a more clinical striker than Carlton Morris, which why wouldn't he be? Um, then we might see MK picking up a few results fairly soon. Elsewhere, Plymouth Argyle beat Burton Albion 2-0. Burton fan and friend of the pod, Ed Walker, was ticking at some of Burton's defending here. Uh, Essentially, as far as I can tell, was a relatively even game uh, that was decided by a couple of defensive slips which Argyle took advantage of. Uh, It was a treat to see... Cooper and Danny Mayer combining down the left side as they do. I noticed that the left centre-back, Kelland Watts, someone that we've been keeping quite a close eye on, a Newcastle youngster who has been on loan uh, at Stevenage previously and Mansfield as well, uh, and now is upper level with Plymouth Argyle. Just 20 years old, good size, left-footed centre-back, someone to keep an eye out for, who's combining well with uh, those beautiful left-sided drifters in Cooper and Mayer. And good to see Jeffcott on the score sheet as well. A solid home win for Argyle. Uh, one eye-catching away win. Well, two, in fact. Uh, one of them was AFC Wimbledon 1, Swindon 0. Not the first time recently that, that Dons have caught us out, surprised us with an away win. Uh, and excited to see whether this is is robust, whether this is sustainable. Uh, it, it's, it's fair to say that Swindon had a few chances to get back into the game Uh, with Joe Piggott having taken the lead. Um, But Wimbledon, for the most part, holding on pretty strong. Truman in goal, making some big saves. He's had uh, an interesting start to his his Wimbledon career. They've got this kind of fascinating strategy, at least I can only assume it's a strategy, of making their first-team goalkeeper a loanee from the top two tiers of English football. It's a strategy that has worked very well for them. They got Aaron Ramsdale in goal, of course, for the second half of their miracle survival season. Um, He was, well, he's now a starting goalkeeper in the Premier League and we're only talking about two years ago. So clearly that was a a huge benefit to the club. Um, They then got Nathan Trott last season on loan from uh, West Ham United. He is another England youth international. He was pretty good for the first half of last season. They also got Joe Day, not a youngster, but cast off by Cardiff second half of last season, who performed well. Uh, And now with Truman in goal this season, he probably comes with less pedigree than the others on loan from Birmingham. But already in some of their good results this season, Truman has been very important. So I suppose you can look at it one of two ways. We'd like to see them tighten up a little bit. We don't don't expect to be saying each week, Truman won the points for Wimbledon, because generally you shouldn't rely on your goalkeeper to do so. But... Um, you know, if it's if 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 he is another above the level shot stopper, then Wimbledon's strategy I could see being adopted by by other people because you know goalkeepers, especially young goalkeepers, do tend to be kind of stockpiled by the the top clubs, and they're always after game time. So if you can watch enough youth games to work out who the best young goalkeepers are between 
you know, 19 and 22. Quite often there'll be blokes who won't have played any professional minutes yet. Uh, and if you can strike gold, you can get real value from that. Uh, obviously, at the top end of the pitch, it's all about feeding the pig, isn't it? Joe Piggott with the best mm. numbers, or at least the best goal contribution numbers in the whole of the EFL. Just so thrilled for him. I remember last season looking at stats, which basically showed that he was one of the most aerially targeted attacking players in the EFL. Wimbledon just constantly going long to him. And his aerial win percentage wasn't great. You could see that he was trying his best, but that as a general tactic, he just wasn't particularly effective. Um, and again, we're just seeing him thriving this season in a slightly different role. Um, he got on the end of a magnificent cross from O'Neill uh, and the finish was, was, was equally good. And the good times keep on rolling for Wimbledon. It feels like there's a few teams in League One that, that you can say that about. Um, last but not least, George, two games to touch on. One of them a derby game between Northampton and Peterborough, won very comfortably by Peterborough. Yeah, no feels here. Three wins in three now for, for Posh, who are showing the kind of form we expected of them as well, um, spreading the goals around a little bit, which mm. is uh, which is good to see. Um, yeah, this was a pretty regulation Derby Day and victory, but very good to see Reese Brown doing Reese Brown things, getting the ball on the right hand side. I saw the Dressing name Siriki about twenty times on social media. Apparently, he was excellent all ah, game again. Yeah, um, I mean he's he he is just a very good player. <laughs> yeah. He's somebody who may not get the goals that you would anticipate um, a striker getting, but what he adds to the side with his his dribbling ability uh, and his pace is so important to the way that they play. And um, yeah, I mean it just feels like this is a very well rounded. Peterborough side now um, it's just interesting to note with Brown and, and Smodix they've kind of exploited a market of players who get a move to the championship don't really get a chance because the squads are so bloated and they managed to pick them up um, on back on their way down when realistically they probably are championship players so really good to see well Bristol City are often guilty of I wouldn't go as far as to say stockpiling but in investing in EFL talent from leagues two and one in a way that most championship teams aren't. And already this season, we're seeing uh, Adelican, who's had a very good start at Hull after essentially two lost years at Bristol City. Smodix, who joined Peterborough, only one season with Bristol City, realistically only half a season before he got loaned out to Posh last season. And also, we've talked a lot about Bristol City and how good their central midfield of Backinson, Vyman and Patterson has been. It's hard to know where Wales starting international Joe Morell fits into that. It's hard to know where flavour of last season Liam Walsh fits into that and I dare say there'll be plenty of teams probably in the championship actually really trying to keep tabs on what Bristol City are going to do with these players because they have a lot of players and if they're going to keep winning you know you need squad depth but you also don't want just wasted wages and young players not picking up important developmental minutes so plenty to keep an eye on there Accrington beat Rochdale 2-1 back-to-back wins for Stanley they've also fostered an interesting relationship with Chelsea. Three loanees now from the Premier League club. Uh, one of them, Uwakwe, we spoke about a lot. La- Some amazing breaking news in the EFL. Sorry to interrupt you, but this never happens. <laughs> what? This never happens. What's happened? Salford City have sacked manager Graham Alexander and have replaced him on a temporary basis with Paul Scholes. Oh, wow. Whoa, 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 Sorry whoa, to interrupt you mid-flow, but I thought this, you know... This is a rare opportunity to have some live Ali Matsar reaction. So Ali, tell me, what is your view, your initial view on this news? Salford on the back of a tool draw, squandering a 2-0 lead, sacking Graham Alexander after what has been a disappointing start to season performance-wise, but not so much necessarily in terms of their points all. 
Seems harsh on the face of it, doesn't it? Salford finished last season strongly. They're unbeaten this season. Two wins, three draws. You're absolutely right that for a team who invested so heavily in these current conditions, no less, uh, in the squad in the summer, who were strong favourites for promotion, along with Bolton, who clearly haven't started very well, um, that actually the performances have not been particularly good, certainly not consistent in games. They might have had good spells and they might have lent on individual quality at times, but have you watched a Salford game so far and thought, yeah, that was a really solid and quite comfortable win? Probably not, actually. They've really lent on the, the skills of Vaclav Hladki in nets. I still think it, it seems early to do this, but I suppose what we know from this ownership group, based on the way they got rid of those those rather fun uh, joint managers who now manage Chester City, Johnson and Morley. We all saw that on the documentary. They, they took them up a fair few levels uh, and were fairly unceremoniously disposed of. So perhaps we, sh- we shouldn't be surprised at the fairly cutthroat nature of this. The fact that it's skulls in temporary charge, I'm going to comment on that if he gets appointed full-time, I suppose. It's not that surprising that they've that they've asked him to, to take the reins for a few games, I suppose. I cannot wait to see the list when, when the bookies come out with the manager odds. Who is going to be up there? Is this? I mean, maybe it's a case like Sabri Lamucci, things weren't going well at Forest, this Alder Hale we're looking at him from Qatar, maybe with Solskjaer, it's the same. He's looking, he's thinking, you know what, this old Trafford, this is rubbish. I'm going to go and work for my mates at, uh, at Salford City. Best for all parties, back at his level. But in all honesty, it's going to be amazing to see who they do go for because it's going to be, you think about kind of what it meant when they appointed Alexander when in, the, in the National League. They were appointing a proven EFL manager um, at that level because mm. of the clout and the cash. So I'm pretty sure we're going to see them targeting a high-caliber replacement here. Could I put one name forward? Yes. Steve McLaren. Wow. That's come out. <laughs> Big name. Managed England, no less. Lest you forget. And when he was Ferguson's assistant at Manchester United for quite a long time and worked with the class of 92, he was considered, at that time anyway, one of the best coaches uh, in the game. Now, whether or not that always translated into management success is arguable. FC Twente certainly have very positive memories of Steve or Steve. But um, <laughs> I'm just going to chat that out there. Just on the off chance that I'm right, because that would be absolutely hilarious. More I'm, I'm going to say Sven. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, well done to Accrington. A good 2-1 win. George, you were going to tell me something interesting about their new loanee, Mr. Russell. Yes, I was. Um, so they've got three Chelsea loanees now. Mm-hmm. And Russell made his debut on Saturday and I was working at Quest so I was having to do quite a lot of kind of behind the scenes digging for for nice storylines for the lads to talk about on the show and um, I came across John Russell's shot map which basically resembled a a very perfect striker's shot map (laughs) despite the fact he's he's a kind of a box-to-box midfielder six foot two as well tall um, where he had five shots in the game all kind of around the central area of the six-yard box which if he continues doing that um it's going to be extraordinary what he does. I think it's unlikely, but he did get his first goal. Interestingly as well, I was tasked with trying to work out. Sam Parkin was there, who of course has um, strong links to Chelsea. I think he speaks to John Harley quite a lot. And he said there was no real reason as to why three of the players have gone to Chelsea. I did a Accrington. bit of digging. Sorry, three Chelsea players have gone to Accrington, but I did a bit of digging and it turns out that in January 2018, 
Accrington Stanley played Derby County in the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. I remember. So, and it was 1-0 to Derby uh, after a um, John Most refereeing performance yeah. that John Coleman didn't appreciate. So what I'm saying is I reckon they had a lovely bottle of red wine afterwards. And this is the... This is the child that, that was born from the uh, from that conversation. John Coleman and Frank Lampard, mates. That that game, the Accrington Derby game, uh, created its own baby. Aside from this link between the two clubs, that was one of the great viral clips that you still see used as a meme on Twitter today. Which was John Coleman after the game, after that refereeing howler, saying. I'm thinking of just packing it all in, yeah. to be honest. I'm thinking of just giving it up at this stage. Uh, and we're glad that he hasn't because his Accrington side have made a good start to the season. Uh, they have three wins and two defeats. They're just in sixth place with nine points and it's a very good start. A narrow win. Rochdale, certainly not horrendous in this game. A real eye-catching assist from Newby, who was one of the players they bought over the summer. They brought him in from non-league. Looks like a real technical player. There was a, there was a touch of the Danny Mayers uh, about his assist, I must say, providing a, a good cross from a left-hand channel um, and sort of drawing a few men towards him. One to keep an eye on. In League Two, George, we've just talked about Salford sacking Graham Alexander. Live breaking news on Not The Top 20 podcast. Always quite fun. Mm. Their game on the weekend, it wasn't really about them, was it? You, you were in at Quest. You were doing the producer role popularized by myself over the last few years um and it does involve he's job in the world and it, <laughs> don't tell them that and it does involve a journalistic aspect as well trying to get to the bottom of, of stories as they develop probably the major story until sunday's project big picture bomb was um and more more sort of covid uncertainty and, and tramir were at the heart of it yeah, they had to make seven changes to their starting lineup on Saturday. And Nicola Palios, the vice chairman of Tranmere, tweeted um, just before the game saying that effectively they um, weren't sure if they would get a 15 point deduction if they cancelled the game and therefore had to put out a weekend side, which is interesting because we hadn't we haven't seen an EFL club. Um, get a 15-point deduction yet this season for postponing a game. Last weekend, we saw Crew um, or Oxford postponed with about half an hour to go before the game started with no talk of ramifications. There's, of course, a history, a very recent history between EFL and Tranmere Rovers Football Club after the way they were relegated at the back end of last season. And the public nature with which this was announced seemed to be a bit of a, you know, a, a challenge to the EFL to say, you know, this isn't really right. We need to work out a way to not have youth players playing because we're, we're unsure if, it, if, we, if this is safe to play. Um, the way it turned out was that Salford took a very early lead and were dominant in the game before a very, a very late Paul Lewis goal made the, made the, you know, meant the points were shared. Um, but the, the kind of the vocal nature and even the floating of a point deduction for not being able mm. to fulfil the game after positive COVID tests has somewhat put um, a cat amongst the pigeons. Well, they've got a lot on their plate at the moment, the EFL, on a number of different levels, but we have to have more clarity. Or I say we, I couldn't care less about myself. The clubs have... I care about you. The clubs have to have more clarity on this issue. We've seen now basically three differing scenarios played out in Leagues 1 and 2 over the last few weeks. Grimsby Town not playing for two weeks and shutting down their training ground for COVID reasons. Uh, the situation on Saturday, or rather last week, as we now know, where Tranmere 
were in contact with the EFL, but still didn't feel like they had enough information to call the game off for, for health purposes, in, enough information, or at least enough guidance from the EFL in order to, to make the call, uh, and therefore went ahead with the game. And of course, we had Crew Oxford last week, which was called off, you know, half an hour before kickoff for, for COVID reasons. So, you know, while all of these cases, uh, for want of a better phrase, have separate details to them clearly if the clubs are not completely clear about the current um, rules and regulations about how they should be acting in certain covid related situations then there needs to be clarity we call for clarity from the efl on that matter we've got a new team top of league two george and it's pre-season favorites morecambe for relegation pre-season favorites for relegation they are top of the league i'm loving shrimps at the moment, and they beat Conor McElhaney FC 3-2 in this one. Yeah, poor Oldham, a one-man team who can't buy a win. Um, but yeah, for, for Morecambe, it's it's just great to see, really. Um, there's so much narrative around who could have seen this, and it frustrates me that we weren't more bullish with our kind of Morecambe aren't going to be bad pre-season prediction, although there's still time, I guess. Um, great to see them uh, top of the league. I mean, it's mad to think they are top of the league, played five, won four. Goal difference? Minus one. Love it. Um, but yeah, all credit to them. Um, good to see uh, Will did carry on his kind of bizarre scoring form um, under Derek Adams. He certainly changed in terms of the way that he plays. Mm. Um, maybe there'd been a reliance on Adam Phillips previous to this game. So good to see them kind of scoring goals and creating goals without his um, influence involved in them. Um, yeah, I, I'm delighted for Morgan fans, delighted for Derek Adams. And it feels like that is... Th- probably the big story of the weekend in, in footballing terms great scenes on their twitter account as well i'm not sure who's got the keys to the live tweets this season but they've had a change they've certainly had a change of approach uh, which brings us things like this george the goal that made it i think 3-1 at the time mm. the Morecambe uh, twitter account tweeted absolute sexy time from o'sullivan crossing to stockton who heads the ball down and into the goal at 109 miles per hour <laughs> Um, it, it really did make me blink, think twice. <laughs> I thought it might have been a, a fake account or a parody account, as it is. It's just them uh, connecting with fans in a in a in a in a quite a specific way, and I'm all for it. Um, kind of concerning times, I think it's fair to say, for Oldham, the fact that they have a striker in McIlhenny who has seven goals in his last four games and they still can't buy a win is pretty uh, concerning. They do have a lad who came off the bench called Bahambula, Mm. who they signed a few weeks ago, who in fleeting appearances so far looks genuinely quite exciting um, and looks genuinely quite skillful. So um, I'm calling for more Bahambula in this Oldham squad. I think it's uh, I think it's fair to say. We all are, right? I tell you who else is doing quite well. And it's funny this because pre-season, when we smashed together our personal 1-24s to uh, and try and make to try and make a, a joint 1-24, to uh, you were you were very high on two teams, and I just couldn't really work out why. Uh, one of them was Oldham, and one of them was Carlisle. And so far, you're sort of one and one here. Because also the funny thing is that you were very high on two teams that I couldn't really work out why. One of them is Forest Green, good work. One of them is Mansfield, terrible Ooh. work. So it's it's one all, <laughs> I think. Okay, well, talk me through Carlisle. They they went to Vale on the weekend, where not many teams win, uh, and they were one nil winners again. Very happy times for Carlisle at the moment. Second most shots in the league, Carlisle behind Forest Green. Bingo. Um, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm still as positive as I was before, but it's. Um, 
And I think we maybe have to downgrade where we see Port Vale at the moment because despite a really good start, they've really struggled, especially going forward. Haven't scored in their last three. Exactly. Um, But that's not to take anything away from Carlisle, certainly, who are very, very good value for their win. They've won three... um, where they won three of their last four games, one of which was a defeat against Scunthorpe, which is, is, is fairly ropey given Scunthorpe's form so far, except for that game. One of them was against Southend, where again, you probably have to caveat it. But, you know, not many teams go to Port Vale and win ever because Port Vale's home record in the last couple of years has been very strong. And, you know, for a, a manager in Chris Beach, where it's his first full season, he basically bought a completely new side. I think we can accept that it's going to take time for a new manager, a new side to gel. Um, we've said that about 50 times about Bolton. So if we're saying about Bolton, we have to say about Carlisle. And they seem to have gelled faster and now have put themselves in a really strong position. It is the derby between those two sides in a couple of weeks' time. I think I know who I fancy for that. Um, before that, we've got Car- they've got Car- Colchester at home. Um, I feel like that's going to be more of a test. That, that we're going to, We know where Colchester stand. They are a kind of somewhere between sixth and... 10th team Colchester so when we see Carlisle go up against them unlike Port Vale who you know are, are disappointing at the moment we'll have a better idea they've certainly got one of the most exciting and entertaining to watch players in the league in Jimmy 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 Torre who wears the number 20 for Carlisle seems to play wherever he wants in the final third not that fussed about doing anything in the middle or defensive third but if you pass him the ball he is contractually obliged to beat three men, as far as I can tell. Already, multiple clips doing the rounds uh, in this early part of the season of Torre, who's playing his first games, I think, in the EFL, dribbling past many opposition players. And uh, long may that continue, exactly the sort of player that we want to see. Yeah, he's only thus far played in the National League for a few years, previously in Championnat National mm. de. Anyway... Very good times for Carlisle. Chris Beach continuing to grow his reputation, I think it's fair to say. Um, you mentioned that they've had the most shots in League second Two. Most. The second most shots in League Two. Don't misquote me. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Do you know what? It's actually, you're absolutely right. You have to be very careful mm. when you have a podcast like this not to be misquoting people. And I'd like to apologise to you for doing that. It's okay. If anyone's still listening, this is a two-hour podcast, I think, so... What I would say is they've got the fourth worst XG per shot in League Two, taking a lot of long shots. The worst XG per shot is Scunthorpe United. When previewing this game last week uh, against Forest Green, we did mention that Scunny were doing okay defensively and doing not well at all going forward. We knew that Forest Green had a big win in them, and that's what they got. Four one winners, in fact, from behind against Scunthorpe. Uh, no arguments, I don't think, uh, about how this game went. Flat Caps and Bovril, Scunthorpe uh, blog, Twitter account that we follow, described it as like a training game. Also said that he would take 22nd if offered it now. Not a very good reflection on how Scunthorpe have started the season. The, the excitement of appointing such a popular guy in Neil Cox, I think, is probably drifting away as the realisation that, uh, that the squad of players is inexperienced and probably not of a huge amount of quality. Um, it's pretty concerning times for, for Scunthorpe, I think it's fair to say. For Forest Green, more positive uh, in terms of performances from them. Uh, Cadden at left wing back looks brilliant. The the spine of the team with a back three of Godwin, Malif, Jordan Moore-Taylor and Liam Kitching with Dan Sweeney and Carl Winchester in front of them uh, and Ebu Adams in a real sort of free number 10 role now. 
Uh, it's such a strong spine. Uh, when you've got the physical presence up top of Jamil Matt, who's got a hat-trick, uh, and the, the the movement of Aaron Collins, whose goal scoring has not been great uh, since he joined Forest Green, but who's a, a constant threat, I would say. Um, you've got plenty to work with, I think it's fair to say. So Forest Green getting that win that I think anyone who'd watched their last few games knew that they would get. George, also last week, I said that if you said to me, you have to choose a team in the EFL to defend a 1-0 lead after 15 minutes, and if they don't, you die. Christ. I said Cheltenham Town they're under not, Mike Duff. Monday. Guess what? They took the lead in this game against Crawley. Yeah. They won 2-0 for the third league game in a row. I would go so far with Mike Duff and his Cheltenham side. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been quite surprised to see. I mean, it's it's definitely working. So I'm not I'm not criticising, but the, the the kind of personnel. Um, suddenly, um, Alfie May can't really get near it, which is not something we expected to see. I think we expected him to be the main goal threat. Mm. Uh, Andy Williams getting his second goal of the season again. The lone players look like they're fairly shrewd investments. I know that Azaz didn't play as well this week, but he's certainly one who's doing good things, and that that continuation of players the, the continuity of the back three of Toza Boyle and Raglan so impressive uh, and Liam Sarkham adding a bit of thrust from midfield as well um, they are so so solid I think they're currently second favourites for the title behind Salford in League 2 I'd probably say that they would be my most likely winner Matty Blair has been excellent for them so far this season uh, I agree having backed Alfie May top goal scorer um, frustrating pretty, isn't it it is frustrating <laughs> having said that George Lloyd, who's been playing up front uh, instead of Alfie May alongside Andy Williams. George Lloyd is a, a young player, a Cheltenham Academy graduate, who I remember about three years ago scoring 40, 50 goals for the youth team in a season. And he was always someone that kind of expected to get given more game time. I think he was considered quite small, maybe not that strong, maybe not quite ready for league football yet, despite a clear goal scoring instinct. Uh, and again, he hasn't. He's never quite broken into the first team. So good signs for for Cheltenham if they can get a a, a good striker through the youth system in George Lloyd. Finally, one of the best strikers in the league so far in the whole of the EFL relative to their division has been Paul Mullin of mm, Cambridge. Mulliny. His finishing has been absolutely immense this season. And in the rain at Cambridge, they took down Flavour of the Month Mike Flynn's Newport County. Mark Bonner just reminding us, just reminding us that. Despite the fact he's now got a Wikipedia page, we shouldn't forget about him. He's good time now, isn't he? Got a good Cambridge side. Yeah, um, they were impressive here, you have to say. It was, again, filthy, filthy conditions. There was something very um, satisfying about seeing the, the spray when Scott Twine hit his um, mm. beautiful consolation goal uh, to make it 2-1. But um, yeah, I mean, Cambridge, why should we be surprised? I guess they are a side who... It feels like when they're at their best, they can they can kind of beat anybody here. Um, and in Marlin, they've got a striker who's always been a bit of a handful, but never been particularly prolific. But given the ease with which um, Cambridge seemed to create chances, it feels like it could be a, a big season for him. Yep, that's pretty much it from, from League Two. Just to say, South End drawing two all with Exeter, a 95th minute. That was gutting. Swirler from great friend of the pod and your former school friend, Alex Fisher. Yeah. Um, well done, Fish. Magnificent strike. If you watch the clip on social media, which we shared, I think you can hear someone shout F off Fish as he strikes it, which 
sounded quite George Ellick, if you ask me, because he's taking what would be considered a very low XG shot. Probably the last shot I love as well. (laughs) Probably the last kick of the game. But he found the top corner. It wasn't funny for Southend, who actually we need to to change the way that we talk about them, albeit a small sample size. The last few performances have not been shambolic. uh, And we had been talking about this side as if they were a bit of a shambles, which they were for the first few games of the season. So credit to Mark Mosley. He hasn't got his league win yet. And this is a club that has not picked up many league wins now for a long time. But the performances have been better. They deserve to win against Exeter. Exeter fans not happy with their own performance, but quite impressed with how Southend played. So keep an eye on that. Uh, It's time to change the way we talk about Southend. That's my big sort of takeaway from that. Uh, Plenty of work still to do, of course, but uh, not the chaotic side that we thought. Uh, Bolton and Grimsby drew nil-nil, not a single shot on target, and Mansfield and Stevenage drew nil-nil as well. Not a huge amount to write home about there. Hope you've enjoyed listening to this pod, a bumper pod, I think it's fair to say, but we wanted to have a proper chat about the League 1 and League 2 games this weekend. We also, last minute, decided we needed to have a proper chat about this project big picture that dropped uh, on Sunday. Please tweet us at NTT20pod. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts about uh, what we've spoken about on the podcast today, both off the field and on the field. I uh, hope you've managed to get to this point. Well done if you have. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a, a, a big morning of recording. Hopefully we've done all stories justice. Uh, thanks very much for listening and we are off to have a nice burger for lunch. Lovely.